Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. Hello, I'm Simon Bradbury, a partner and patent attorney at Appleyard Lees. I'm joined by fellow patent attorney, Appleyard Lees associate and plant variety specialist, Alice Smart. In this episode, we discuss plant varieties, what they are, how to apply for them and how they are enforced. We'll also take a look at some of the current issues affecting plant varieties, and in particular, looking at the need to provide a UK address for service by the end of 2023. Alice, why don't we start by talking a little bit about your background? Hi, Simon. My background, I'm a patent attorney, first and foremost, but over the last five years, I've been involved with making applications, firstly at the CPVO for EU plant variety rights and then subsequently following Brexit at the APHA for plant breeders rights there. I've filed a number of applications for new plant varieties and also been involved in making applications for EU retained rights in the UK following Brexit. So Alice, let's just jump in and maybe you could explain what plant varieties are and how they differ in different countries. It's probably a good idea to start with the difference between a patent for a plant and a plant breeder's right and why you can't just get a patent for every new plant variety. And in the UK and Europe, at least, that difference is dependent on how that plant variety arises. Is it made by an essentially biological process, so traditional methods of crossing um, and propagation, selecting? Or is there a technical intervention in the production of that plant? So, for instance, has it resulted from a genetic modification, some form of genetic engineering. If there is a technical step in its production, then it can be protected by a patent. If it's exclusively obtained by traditional methods, i.e. crossing and selecting, then it is not patentable in the UK and Europe. And to protect that plant you need to go down the plant varieties route. I'm not entirely sure of the laws in other countries because you can get plant variety patents in different parts of the world. The US actually has plant variety patents, plant variety protection and utility patents. And those three branches of protection can protect different aspects of a plant. So anything which is asexually propagated would go down more the the plant patent protection route, whereas the more traditional crossing methods of obtaining a plant would be protected in the plant variety protection route. But then you can also protect other things around plants for instance, sort of methods, genes, traits, which would be protected under a utility patent. The definition of a plant variety 
in patent law is a single lowest known rank of a botanical taxon, which is homogenous and stable. Even though you can't obtain a patent for a plant which is obtained exclusively by an essentially biological process, you can still obtain patents, for instance, if they are genetically modified or there might be other processes involved or products of the plant that you can obtain a patent for. That's really interesting, Alice. Thanks for that. I think one thing I came across uh, a few years ago, I was advising a client on some protection around some algal cells. At least one interesting thing I found was actually in the US that that would be protected by a plant variety, whereas in, in Europe, for example, that would be protected by a European patent with reference to a biological deposit. So it's interesting that even in different countries, there are different standards depending on on what it, the definition of a, of a plant is actually. I think the take-home message there would certainly be that we need to get advice from local council in whichever country you want protection for. So maybe if we if we talk a little bit about the actual application process, if you could just give us a brief outline as to as to what the process is for for actually applying for a plant variety, right? Yes. Yeah, so now, as I alluded to earlier, in the UK previously there used to be a pan European Union plant variety right that covered the UK and after Brexit at the end of 2020 now if you want protection in the UK and the EU you must make two separate applications one to the community plant variety office in the European Union and one to the APHA in the UK so to make the application in the EU, you need to appoint an EU-based agent or have an EU address. And the same works in the UK. You need a UK-based agent or address. So to start the process in the UK, first of all, have you got a variety which can be protected and it must fulfil certain criteria, one of which is novelty. And novelty for a plant variety is quite different to novelty for a, a patent. Novelty for a patentable invention has to be absolute, can't have been disclosed in anyway. It's, yeah, it's very rigid. Whereas novelty for plant varieties based on sale and commercial use of that plant variety. And you have some leeway here. So in the UK, you can make an application for a plant breeder's right up to a year after you have first sold it or commercialised it in the UK. There is a further part of the, the novelty criteria. The application in the UK must also be within four years of commercialization or use outside the UK. And that's for a plant other than a tree or a vine, in which case you have six years grace to make your application, which I suppose is because trees and vines take longer to grow. So you must make your application within those windows for it to be novel and for it to be able to obtain a plant breeder's right. Just as for other forms of intellectual property, you can claim priority from an earlier filed application in, for instance, another EU member state, well, a EU member state, or a member of UPOV, which is 
a global organisation, the Union for the Protection of New Varieties of Plants. And many countries with their own plant breeders' rights systems belong to that. And they will recognise the priority of your earlier application. So you get the benefit of that earlier application date. To start an application in the UK, you use the UPOV Prisma application site. So this is provided by UPOV. And the first step is to select the variety that you are making an application for, the species. And that will then tailor the application process to that particular plant. You'll then enter details about the applicant. So this will probably, in a lot of cases, be the employer of the person that actually bred the plant. So during the application process, is it possible to upload any documents at all? Yes. At the end of the application process on UPOV Prisma, you can upload photographs of the plant. You can upload an authorization of agent form and an assignment of rights from from the breeder. Also, you can upload additional documents if you wish. So I'm, I'm intrigued by the photographs that you can upload. What what uh, types of photographs are, are uploaded? Colour photographs showing the characteristics which are used in the examination of the plant variety. I think I've seen some photos of some crops which the variety was a particularly tall variety and you know there was a uh, one of the farmers standing there with a two meter three four meter high ruler yeah the the plant absolutely dwarfing the farmer on the on the variety that uh, that they developed but yeah that i guess and also there'd be maybe details or or images of maybe the actual flower or maybe particular shape of leaves etc so i'm thinking about making my plant variety application and i've got a really really cool name for the plant variety do i just put that in the application form or do i need to do some searching almost like a trademark search and even if i go ahead with that plant variety name is is a trademark application is that something i should think about as a as a as an add-on to the plant variety filing so far this isn't something i've been involved with because every time we've been involved they've already had a denomination but yes i would advise them to look into getting trademark protection for it it's essential that you have this approved name this approved variety denomination it it, you cannot get a plant breeders right without it and you can change it but you'd have to pay to change it and it cannot that name cannot already have been used for the variety um of the same plant species so yes my advice would be to look in the seeds gazette in the uk and you can filter according to whichever species you're looking at and you can look at what variety denominations are already out there and then make your decision based on that you will find that some of the variety denominations you'll have the same name but for different plant species that's okay but the name cannot be confusing. It can't cause any problems with recognition. I suppose that's similar to a trademark. So it sounds like it might be good if you're thinking about filing a, a plant variety to to get your attorney to actually have a look through the Seeds Gazette and confirm that whatever variety name you're thinking about using, you can actually use that because it wouldn't be confusing 
with uh, another variety already registered for that particular that particular variety or species. Yes. And I suppose it's got to be acceptable as well to consumers because it is what's going to be placed on your your product, your marketing material, the seeds. It's what's going to be used to identify your plant to consumers. In the application process, you also list any other applications that are ongoing in other countries. You would enter your priority claim. If you are claiming priority in the UK, you need to also submit certified priority documents, a certified document proof of the earlier application. And you can either submit that with the application or three months after making that application in the UK. I've spoken about novelty and there is a section in the application form where you must disclose if you have sold or disposed the variety for commercial use in the UK or anywhere else. And you put the details in there of which country you have done that in and the dates. You also enter here where there are any ongoing technical examinations of your variety. And also if you would like the APHA to purchase the distinctness, uniformity and stability report, the examination report from that other testing authority. If it cannot be purchased, you then really have to tick a box saying that you would like the UK to carry out their own tests. There's then the technical questionnaire part of the application. In Europe, this is done as a separate document. And these are specific to whatever plant variety you are making an application for. So there's a section about the breeding scheme. And this section provides information to the examination office about how to actually grow your variety. For instance, is it grown by seed? Is it grown via a cutting? Is it vegetatively propagated? They will ask if there's any good pollinators for your variety. And they will also question the virus status. If there's going to be an examination in the UK, they need to be aware if it's being tested for viruses. There's then a section about the characteristics of the variety. And these are essential for the examination stage of each plant variety. So as well as novelty, the other criteria that need to be fulfilled by a new plant variety are that it is distinct from any other variety of common knowledge, that it is uniform and that it is stable. And these criteria are assessed on certain characteristics of that plant. So these may be the shape of the fruit or the shape of the leaves or the colour of the petals. And from this, they can assess if it is distinct from any other plant variety. And they will then also determine from these characteristics if that plant is uniform. So the criteria of uniformity is, it's not absolute. They're not expecting every plant, for instance, to be within a millimetre of each other in terms of height, but they have to be uniform within what would be expected 
given how, for instance, they're propagated. If they are self-propagated, then they would expect less uniformity than if they're, say, cross-pollinated. Stability is assessed over multiple growing cycles and the characteristics of that variety should not change over different growing cycles. So, for instance, you shouldn't have in one year a red rose being grown and then the next year it's got white petals. That would not be stable. You enter those characteristics and what they should be when the plant is grown. The application will also ask if there are any similar varieties and how they differ from your variety. So that may be used again to assess the distinctness of your plant variety. There'll be some additional questions about if your plant is resistant to pests and diseases, any special conditions that are needed for examination, and you can suggest a possible place of technical examination. You also indicate here if your plant is genetically modified or not. In the UK, if you have a genetically modified plant variety, the guidance is that you must seek consent before you make an application, and that's either through DEFRA or the Food Standards Agency, and you must also inform the APHA. You then can attach other documents to your application form, and these include photographs of the plant so that you can demonstrate the different characteristics of your plant. And you would also submit, if you've appointed an agent, an authorization of agent form and a breeder assignment form if they have assigned their rights to the applicant. And what about uh, power of attorneys? Is that something which we need to think about when when applying either in Europe or, or in the UK? Certainly in the UK, if you've appointed an agent, you need to submit what they call an authorization of agent form, which is on the APHA website. Having dealt with a, a number of plant variety applications myself, I, I can certainly vouch for the fact that it's it's always good to have all the information up front. The application form is very heavy, dense on on detail. From your experience, I mean, is there a lot of toing and froing between the applicant and and the attorney in order to get all the information right before sort of pressing the button and, and filing the application? Yes, because many of them will have already made an application in Europe, but that application form differs slightly from the one that is provided by UPOV Prisma. So it doesn't quite follow the same outline. And probably should also say that for using the UPOV Prisma platform, at the time of making an application, you have to pay a fee. And that can be paid in Swiss francs or in pounds. But then after that, you will, at a later date, be invoiced by the APHA for an application fee and a DUS examination fee. Sure. And I think it's probably worth mentioning that the UPOV fee that, that we typically pay on a new application, if you have a, a WIPO account, and this would be applicable, I guess, to, to most intellectual property firms where they, they, they're filing international trademarks and also international patent applications, and provided you have a, a WIPO account, then you can actually pay these, these fees directly out of your WIPO account. Just going um, back on to the DUS test, I mean, it, I've always thought it's it's quite interesting if it's a, a, a fresh application that we filed and we're not claiming priority, so therefore we can't cross-refer to an earlier DUS test. 
you know, how does that play out? So, for example, if I want to file a, a plant variety for an exotic plant, which typically wouldn't grow in the UK climate, how does that work? Does the APHA subcontract that growth out, or do they grow it under tropical conditions, maybe in a in a in a glass house or, or polytunnel? Yes. So I think when the APHA after Brexit, when they realised that they were going to be handling a lot more applications themselves, we were one of the first to put in an application for for a banana. I think I'm right there, and they were trying to find somewhere they might be able to do a test, and you know, looking for different overseas territories where they might be able to do this. But it's better. So as I was saying before, UPOV is the international group of plant breeders' rights countries. They've signed up to an agreement so that they will recognize DUS tests that are carried out in different member states. And these are harmonized criteria across the different countries. So that if you're in Iceland, yes, as a plant breeder, you might not be thinking of cultivating your pineapples in Iceland or thinking about stopping somebody else cultivating pineapples in Iceland, but you will want to sell them there. You will want to import them there. So you want to write there. The testing capabilities are not really going to be there. So the authorities, for instance, in Iceland or in the UK can purchase test results that have been carried out in another country, or alternatively, they could ask another country with the testing capabilities to carry out the tests on their behalf. And then you as the applicant would be charged whatever they have to pay for those tests to be conducted. Just thinking about the application process again, do you pay renewal fees while the while the examination is pending or or renewal fees only payable once the uh, registration has been granted? In the UK at the moment, there are no renewal fees at all for any plant breeders' rights. And in Europe, there are after grant. I think this situation might change in the UK as they have more and more applications because previously they didn't have all that many. Now they're going to receive a lot because you need to do a separate application in the UK if you want protection there. But currently, once it's granted, then that's it. You are in force for there. If it's, say, a plant, then you've got protection for 25 years. If it's a tree or a vine, then you've got protection for 30 years. Okay, so you, you touched on it briefly just now about you know once it's enforced. Well, once it's in enforced or granted, you, you can enforce your rights. Do you want to talk a little bit about how one would go about enforcing a plant variety against a, a an infringer or, or a potential infringer? Yes. So, as the holder of a, a plant breeder's right, you have the right to stop somebody else producing, reproducing your your plant, selling, offering to sell it alter the plant so that it can be propagated, export it, import it, and keeping stock of that plant. And your your rights actually extend back to your initial application date if it is finally granted. 
I believe you can enforce it from the point where your application is published in what they call the Seeds Gazette. So the UK publish a Seeds Gazette every month and your application will be will be published there. And when it is finally granted, first of all, it will be there will be a publication about it being proposed to be granted and then finally being granted. There is a period of time that you can object to that grant. You've got 14 days to do that. But you can, yeah, so any acts that were committed which which sort of constitute any of those acts which require the authorization of the plant breeders' rights holder, you can go back to the initial application date and and go to court, I suppose, for any damages or costs during that time. Although I think I'm not an expert on the case law in this area, but I think some of there is a grey area because it's slightly more complicated with a plant breeders, right? Because not only do you have the plant itself that you have protection for, that plant produces propagating material. And the plant breeders right, all of those acts which require the authorization of the rights holder extend to the propagating material. So that might be the seed, that might be the tubers, etc. And it can also then extend to the material that is harvested as a result of growing that propagated material. If that propagated material was sort of taken without the authorization of the rights holder. And then if that harvested material is then used to create more propagated material, then the rights extend to that as well. It's called a cascade of protection. But there are also within that, this slightly more complicated. So for instance, if you had a plant breeder's right, in a country. And as the holder, you gave your permission for the propagating material to be exported to another country which in which you didn't have a right. And in that country, the propagating material was used to grow a plant and then there was harvested material from that. And that was then re-imported to where you have a right because you authorised the initial export I think at the moment it's sort of, well, if you've given that initial authorization, I think it's still an unknown point in the law whether you can then stop the re-importation of the harvested material because you gave that initial authorization. If you hadn't, if there was no authorization for the initial export, then somebody grew your protected plants, but in a country where you have no protection. But then, for instance, they harvested the material, say they were growing some flowers, and they re-imported those cut flowers for sale in a country where you do have protection. Then, because there's no at no point in that process did you give authorization, then you do have the right to stop them. It's very interesting, Alice. Thanks for that. I think I think we do have some jurisprudence or some case law, um, or quite a bit of case law, I think, for genetically modified plants and genetically modified plant material. But I think we just don't have that body of of of, of law that we can use as a precedence for for plant varieties and and obviously it's it's territorial rights as well. I think one aspect which is probably, as I always think about it, when you're enforcing intellectual property rights, the most important thing I think is is the injunction. So once you've got the injunction to stop another party from actually doing something, 
then it's almost as if the damages and the costs are, you know, they're nice to have, but actually you just want them to stop doing the infringing act. I can understand that it might be problematic, especially if you're looking at harvested material and maybe that's actually being used to, to propagate, you know, future crops, which could indeed be future infringements. I think it's further complicated. There is another extension of a plant breeder's rights to, for instance, plants which are created where you need to constantly use the protected variety. So for instance, you're making a hybrid, but you to make that hybrid, you need this protected plant. Then again, your rights extend to that product. And then there is something called an essentially derived variety. And this again, a slightly gray area at the moment, but essentially it means that say the holder of a plant breeder's right has a plant and another breeder comes along and they do something to that plant which results in it having a different age just say a different characteristic maybe two different characteristics or they select a mutant from your protected plants then the holder of the original plant the holder of the rights for the original plant their rights extend to that derived plant so even though that derived plant is distinct from the plant in which they have a right they still have rights over that derived plant so it certainly sounds like quite complicated and obviously people that are unsure they certainly need to to take advice from a plant expert such as such as you alice so are there uh, are there any current developments or or things coming down the track with regard to to plant varieties that we need to to keep an eye out for or or look out for Probably the most important one at the moment is the end of 2020. Anybody that had a granted EU plant variety right automatically had a corresponding UK plant breeders right. Earlier this year, the APHA got in touch with the holders of what they call those EU retained rights and said, by the 31st of December 2023, please supply us with an address for service or details of a UK-based agent. And that following that date, they may get in touch with any holders of those EU retained rights who haven't submitted a UK address and ask for a UK address. So at the moment, I would say get yourself a UK address for service if you have one of these EU retained rights. Sure. And typically that would be a, you know, a UK, a UK patent attorney who uh, specializes in plant varieties. Yes. So thank you very much, Alice. It's been a, a really interesting conversation. I've certainly learned quite a lot of information about plant varieties. I'm sure the people listening to this podcast will have as well. What I would say urge people if they do have any questions to to reach out to a plant variety expert or a patent attorney who should be able to help them and point them in the right direction so thank you very much alice and look forward to hearing more podcasts in the future about plant varieties thank you simon thanks for listening to the green shoots podcast by appleyard leads if you have a question or issue you would like our ip specialist to discuss on the podcast then tweet us at appleyard leads or email us at ip at appleyardleads.com 